I'm Nicholas Borners of Capital Inc. and I would like to welcome you to our deep dive uh, uh, series, a webinar series. Uh, in this series, we have the opportunity to uh, be part of uh, a detailed discussion between a company CEO and uh, an analyst. And today we are delighted to have with us uh, Mr. Konstantin Bach, the CEO of uh, also listed MPC Containerships. And Randy is the uh, uh, head of maritime research at Jefferies. So uh, Randy and Constantine is going to, are going to discuss about the development of uh, uh, MPC containers and the container sector. And we just before coming on board, we had a discussion obviously about what is happening right now in the global supply system with the Ukraine, Russia, and uh, the disruption that the disruption we may be witnessing. Uh, I am going to turn the floor over to the Jeffrey's head of maritime research uh, to discuss with Constantine. Two very quick notes. Number one, the usual disclaimer. This is for informational and educational purposes. It's not investment advice or advice of any kind. And Capital Link has no responsibility for them. And we are privileged to work also with uh, uh, MPC containers on the uh, investor relations side. And the second one is if you have questions, please submit them through the... Uh, Q&A button at the bottom of the screen, and Randy and Constantine are going to address them. And again, uh, thank you very much to both of you for joining. Awesome, thanks so much, Nicholas. Uh, looking forward to our, our chat, excited to be here. Constantine, thank you as well. Um, as Nicholas brought up, we will certainly mention kind of Russia, Ukraine, kind of topic du jour. But before we get to that, I just want to give you a few minutes, Constantine, to run through your fleet, run through your company, MPC containers, uh, just shed some light on that, and then I'll ask some more specific kind of industry as well as company-specific questions, and we'll have some Q&A time at the end. Great. Thanks, Randy, and obviously thanks, Nicholas, and, and the team at Capital Link for having me. Um, so who, who are we? MPC Containerships, founded in 2017, um, where we have foreseen a very specific dislocation in the container shipping market when it comes to asset prices. I'm sure we'll touch on that as we as we go through. Today, we uh, own and operate 66 uh, container vessels with a total capacity of, of above 140,000 TU and an average age of around 14 years. Um, we are the largest owner of vessels specifically focusing on intra-regional and regional trades. Um, so we have a very specific focus and uh, our kind of vision is to become the preferred chartering partner um, to, to our customers, and we'll get to that later on as well. Um, we offer a, a very specific and, uh, as we think, very um, attractive investment opportunity into a pure play company um, with a, a very clear set of parameters that we focus on. Um, first of all, we uh, seek to achieve double-digit full-cycle equity returns with low leverage. Uh, that's probably uh, something to discuss later on. Um, we are very clear and transparent on capital allocation. And our goal is to always mitigate residual value risk. That is in a market as we have it today, a different approach than it was in 2017, 18, when we started to build up the company. But that is that is our focus. And uh, lastly, uh, but certainly not least, um, uh, we have a, a wide set of uh, customers. I mean, we have obviously the, the big liner companies um, as our key customers, but we also have regional partners in, in certain very specific intra-regional trade lanes, such as intra-Asia, intra-Americas, intra-Europe. Um, and that is, I think, very important. We, we usually look at this market today at three to five year uh, time charter contracts. 
um, and we um, we have a very clear focus on um, you know doing the right thing at the right point in cycle, deploying capital uh, when there's time to invest, uh, and placing the emphasis on returning capital to investors when the market is in a in a slightly different uh, um, condition as it is today. And on that note, uh, Randy, I'm I'm happy to throw the ball back to you for for further questions. Awesome, I'll catch it. So. In terms of container ship rates, right, they're continuing to hit new highs every week. You look at Harpex, you look at really any data points out there, and they just keep going one direction. And the durations keep getting extended. So what is really driving this? Um, and then do you see any uh, sites in, in the future for that to reverse? Yes, I think exactly as as you've described it. That's that's where we are. I mean, spot time charter rates hit record highs week by week. Uh, but what is actually more important, if you look at the the kind of time charter indices, uh, is actually the periods. And that, in combination, is I think the decisive factor. And because that has a significant impact on available capacity going forward. Usually, if you go into a, a calendar year in the container market, you have around fifteen to sixteen hundred vessels being available to the charter market within that one year period. 2022 is already a, a pretty unique year. And I would argue next year will be even, will be even more uh, drastic in terms of way fewer vessels being available. As an example, going into 2022, there were only 500 vessels that would become open and hence available to the charter market in that very year. So that's less than one third of the vessels that you would usually have available to the charter market. So that is clearly a driving force especially in combination with long-term periods. So every vessel that gets chartered today is out of the charter market for the next three, four, five years. And um, if you look, for example, at, at our vessels, we had for 2022, 24 open charter positions. By mid of February, we have already fixed 14 out of these 24. Um, that means more than 50% within the first six weeks of the year. And that is Q3, Q4 positions, even into 2023, um, which, if you you know apply that rule to the 500 charter vessels for this year, means next year we will have significantly lower number of vessels being available to the charter market, which in turn means tightening of supply and demand, certainly on the supply side, um, and that is I think a very decisive factor in combination with the the longer periods. So so that's that's a really a structural shift I must say as well. We haven't seen that in the last. 12, 15 years in container shipping. Um, and that means, you know, long periods, supporting NAV, supporting asset values. And that is actually also quite different to other sectors where you have NAVs floating up and down um, as spot markets move up and down. But we talk about a very firm period market in container shipping across sizes and segments. Got it. And I'll, I'll get more specifically on your strategy for that. But before we do, let's chat quickly about port congestion. You know, we're hearing uh, that, oh, congestion's easing and there's fewer ships in LA Long Beach. Now, part of that's what we've been saying would happen is, look, during the Lunar New Year, during the Beijing Winter Olympics, there's going to be a drop in production at Chinese factories. So clearly there'll be a, a, a lag or at least a, a short-term disconnect in terms of vessels arriving at LA Long Beach. Secondly, you've seen a lot of diversions. I think Savannah, Charleston, here in Houston, you're seeing port congestion peaking, right, or elevated. So what are you seeing in terms of your actual container ships? Where are they waiting? Have you seen those diversions? What's happening on the port congestion side? Yes, and, and indeed, I mean, we are tracking and analyzing port congestions basically on a daily basis. It has been a, it has been, or it has become a very significant topic. 
um, for the liner operators, but also for tonnage uh, owners like ourselves. And I mean, total port congestion has indeed eased since, uh, um, or slightly at least since October, but it is still at a very high level. If you look at the um, respective indices, for example, Kuno Nagel has a, a global um, um, kind of disruption index. It's at an all-time high. Um, uh, so roughly 20 to 25, some say 30% of the total container fleet are still affected or waiting in some shape and form at ports around the globe. So whilst con congestion at LA Long Beach, uh, that was the main driving force last year's spike, um, has eased since since basically Q4. Um, there are other trades, and I think you have you have mentioned a few of them. Certainly, East Coast US is something that we see um, uh, increasingly being or being increasingly congested, uh, but also in Europe, especially in the Met and, and in the Black Sea. Maybe even you know going forward, uh, certainly impacted by what is happening in the Black Sea area. From a uh, from a Ukraine Russia perspective, we already see a lot of vessels deviating. It's not the biggest trade, so it, the impact will not be so severe, but it will be another disruption, and it will, in my turn, lead to to further congestions and, and disruptions. When will that end? Very good question. I mean, the question has been answered for the last 18, 24 months. Everyone who said, well, one or two more quarters was always wrong. So, and I think what we do know is that it takes a while. It's it will not happen overnight, and we're still at a very high level. So at least in my book, I expect that, you know, for the second half of 2022, we, we might see some easing. But even if the congestion eases, it doesn't mean that trades are efficient, because you would still have to reshuffle boxes, you would still have to reshuffle ships. Um, so, so they are certainly a uh, still a new set of parameters that need to be considered as well. So I would argue it, it will take a, a longer, longer period. Yep, no, that's fair. Um, and while it's happening, I'd like to just bring it up briefly in terms of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, how that could impact container trade. I know there's not a ton uh, of containers going to and from uh, Russia and Ukraine normally, obviously not now, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on that conflict and how it would impact your business? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's obviously very terrifying and, and sad development that, that we have observed uh, there over the last uh, week. Um, and, and obviously the, the the conflict and its implications are at least on top of our research agenda uh, to some extent um and and i mean they are russia and ukraine are rather minor players for container trade as you rightly said so the direct effects can be assumed to be minor um then there are obviously operational effects and they they might be a bit more significant i mean just as an example turkish shipyards usually use steel from ukraine uh, so we, we expect actually to have a bit of a hiccup on the yard scene in that region because they simply will will not be able to obtain the the steel that they usually use. So so there are other implications that uh, that have an have an impact on maybe shipping in in general. Um, I think the more relevant um, aspect to look out for is is kind of I would say macro effects. Um, Obviously, you know, it also depends on the depth of sanctions and, 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 and range of sanctions that are being imposed. Um, we already see just today, I heard here in Hamburg, the port will, will not uh, continue to move uh, uh, Russian boxes that are destined for, for final location Russia. So that will, will lead to a disruption all over the place, um, not only specifically in that region. Uh, I mean, as you rightly said, it's not too many boxes in the global context, yet it will lead to disruption. And I think the biggest question mark is the 
the risk for the global economy. Energy prices, uh, commodity prices uh, could, could soar. Obviously, we already see that happening. Um, and a number of commodity markets are already you know, starting to, to price in geopolitical risk. Gas exports from Russia, I think we all know how, how for example, uh, the European Union is dependent on it. 50% of, uh, of the gas is from Russia. Agricultural commodities from Ukraine, like corn or wheat. So I think I think it really de depends on the on the on the effects. Uh, I think the biggest impact could be higher energy costs, which could lead to a shift in consumer behavior and consumption, less containerized goods, which would obviously be a, a negative. Yet my expectation is that the Western governments will certainly come up with uh, with mitigating measures or compensating measures in order to balance you know potentially higher energy costs with with other means but i think this is it's still premature um but i think from a more general standpoint this is uh, at least my expectation of what uh, what might happen sure and, and that's fair i know it's a lot of a uh, prognostication at this point but let's drill down on some mpc specific questions here it looks like you have about 10 vessels or so coming available in the next year, let's call it, um, throughout 2022. How far ahead are you looking to fix those charters forward, right? We've seen some charters from, from some peers being fixed starting in April of 2023, right? So more than a year in advance. But um, what about you in terms of your strategy? Have you gotten bids for those ships coming available six, nine, even 12 months from now? Yes, and I mean the forward fixing activity has increased significantly in, in especially in our segment. Um, I would say since latter half of Q4 uh, 2021, we have already in in November December last year fixed uh, end 2022 early 2023 positions. That was a bit of a unique package deal. Yet moving into 2022, I mean you're right, 10 vessels are still to become open. Uh, however, 14 have already been fixed in the first six weeks. So that gives you an indication and that's Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 positions this year. Uh, and we are we're even having tangible discussions on early 2023 positions, March, April positions on the smaller vessels down to 1300 TU actually. So it's, it's not only the large ships, it's also the smaller ships. And this is then forward three, four years, uh, which basically means if you have a four year forward fixture uh, today, you're for Q4 or Q1, it's basically a five-year, um, 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 let's say, forward, basically, view that, that we have. And I think for us, it's very, it, it changes kind of the, the cash flow dynamics. And in our case, you know, we had more than 50 multi-year fixtures already last year, and, and the rest will come uh, this year. So we will have a very high earnings visibility. And on this rate and period level, we will continue to forward fix our positions because we believe that will add significant value um, for, for our company and therefore also for our shareholders. Okay. And then looking at capital allocation, uh, I believe you recently switched to paying out 75% of adjusted earnings as distributions. Uh, can you discuss that decision, how you arrived at 75%, not 40, 60, 100, 80? Sure, and and you're right. I mean, we have we have implemented our distribution plan consisting of two pillars. One is uh, how we call it event-driven distributions, which is linked to vessel sales, um, as we have sold quite a number of vessels uh, Q4 last year. We have already dividended out uh, in in February this year 150 million as a event-driven distribution. And next to that, the second pillar is recurring quarterly distributions, and that's that's the 75% of net profit you were you were referring to, um, and that is you know. That is certainly a number that we feel is, is high, yet we believe, as I said, 
there are times to invest and put an emphasis on deploying capital and then there are times to put an emphasis on returning capital and that's why we came up with a let's say a fairly high number um we nevertheless believe that the the remaining kind of portion of our profit that we don't distribute out, uh, that that still allows us in combination with our high flexibility in the balance sheet with enough firepower and capacity to also make use of opportunities going forward. So the 75% is, is a number that is, that is significant, that is high, that, uh, that basically signals our emphasis on returning capital, yet it's not too high in order to take away flexibility. So we will maintain flexibility going forward. And we believe, you know, history has proven that, that shipping is a, is a very cyclical industry, right? And when we started MPC container ships in 2017 and 18, we tried to mitigate residual value risk by buying at a discount to new building parity and by buying pretty close to scrap value back then with no visibility on on cash flows because it was a very short uh, uh, you know period market on the chartering side that has changed so we had an employment risk with low residual value low downside from an entry point and we have now moved into a market where we have uh, fairly high prices supported by the cash flows yes so but now it's counterparty risk that you need to uh, monitor um, and as such you know if we have opportunities where we will mitigate residual value risk because we have a good charter to a good counterparty we would also consider acquisitions uh, but the clear emphasis is on returning capital to investors sure and then in terms of your fleet i, I believe you have about 30 uh, correct me if i'm wrong vessels that are unencumbered so clearly a lot of balance sheet flexibility with that. Now you reduced your leverage substantially throughout the past you know, six to 12 months. Do you have a target leverage ratio or measure? And how do you see that balance sheet evolving throughout this year? Yes, I mean, we, we indeed, we, we did the refinancing end of last year with the ultimate goal of, first of all, having maximum flexibility in the balance sheet by having unencumbered vessels and have a very high degree of discretion about the capital allocation decisions as I, as I alluded to before. So um, this is a, a very key aspect. We obviously when looking at leverage level, the question is also, I mean, what's the charter backlog? What's the fleet profile, et cetera? I mean, if I look at the current fleet profile as it stands, uh, we would look at, at a target leverage of 50 to 75% of the scrap value of our vessels. Uh, I mean, our vessels are 14 years of age. We believe we have such a significant operating leverage that we do not necessarily need to increase our financial leverage, certainly not at the expense of being kind of affected in, in our discretion how to allocate our capital going forward. Um, yet, I mean, if there's obviously even longer uh, charter backlog that we can procure, or if at some stage we, we will enter into fleet renewal, we might kind of increase the leverage levels from, from that level. But um, going forward, uh, we want to be low risk, um, high dividend company. And, and this is how we will also behave from a balance sheet standpoint. Okay, makes sense. I'll ask one more question here and then I'll, I'll take a break uh, and pause for Q&A from those on the line. So be sure to either raise your hand or just um, ask this Q&A through the chat function. Uh, you bought 12 vessels early in 2021. You have also sold about 12 vessels uh, in the last, you know, three to six months. Clearly, asset values are at these incredibly high levels. So looking ahead, are you more likely to be a buyer or a seller? And also, how do you weigh an outright vessel sale with a three, four, five year new charter? 
Yes, and, and I mean, the market has been so dynamic that, uh, I mean, you alluded to the 12 vessels that we've bought and 12 that we've sold last year. I mean, basically the first half of the year, we were on a buying side uh, because we, we, we saw that there was an arbitration to be done between, let's say, asset values, acquisition prices, and what you can achieve in the charter market. So you, we were able to arbitrage on that, on those 12 vessels. And in the latter half of the year, we were rather on the selling side because we felt the gap had, had closed and actually you can you can get a decent price when you sell an uh, sell an asset so uh, i think to 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 already today give the full kind of strategy on the fleet for the whole year is in this dynamic market uh, not easy we would always stick to our kind of principle of of, of having a target uh, return that is double digit numbers uh, whilst mitigating res residual value risk and that is obviously as i alluded to earlier a bit more challenging in in the market where prices are high you would need a very solid counterparty and 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 the, and a very kind of good period charter in order to achieve that um, and in absence absence of that we will we will probably not uh, be a buyer uh, today i think the charter market is the better option um uh, in my view um but that can change quickly as we've seen last year all right so i think we we, we have at least so far uh, walked the talk in terms of trying to be very rational in what we do and when we do it. And for this year, I think it's certainly possible to, to buy ships um, if there's uh, more momentum in the market. Uh, but for the time being, uh, I think it's not necessarily our goal. We will be more selective on growth in this market environment. Okay. Uh, two questions from those on the line. First is, around the charter market, right? It has been just going up and up and up and the durations have been going further and further and further. Um, you know, I, I asked it earlier, but I guess more specifically, when do you think that crescendos, right? And when do you think it starts to turn lower? Um, obviously it's hard to, to guess at this point. And what would be the real reason for that, right? Is it a lot of relets coming to the market? Is it complete clearance of port congestion? Um, and then I'll, I'll ask the, the follow-up question after. Yeah, I think first of all, relets in container shipping can happen. It's not as common as in other um, uh, as in other trades or as in other segments. Um, I think that's that's important to note. I think the the critical question will be when we see a softening of the disruption and uh, um, um, and the bottlenecks, right? And that, in my book, will will certainly take until the latter half of this year, if not uh, into 2023. Um, there is a, a constant need of vessels. Um, we do actually see that the supply side in the smaller sizes is still very favorable. Um, so even if we see lower growth figures, we would still see a very a significant undersupply of, of tonnage, even if you know the current disruptions are being uh, resolved. Um, so I think that is uh, that is very critical to to understand. Um, so I think the timing is, is difficult to foresee. I think there are a lot of ingredients that suggest that um, that we are. Um, so there's Randy. Is he back? Uh, yeah, there you are again. So uh, that's fine. Um, uh, you, you're on mute, but I will just continue uh, the flow. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that you know it, it really depends on, um, um, on on when we will see the disruption to end. I think rather second half of this year, early next year, 
Uh, and in any event, remember what I said initially, the charter market will dry out because all vessels will be for long, long periods. And it's not that common to sublet container ships. It's, it's happening. I'm not saying it's not happening, but there's obviously a very detailed planning um, of, of certain port rotations, of schedules, of alliances. So it's, it's, it's a different market uh, than, than dry book or, or tankers for that matter. Uh, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm positive that, that we will not see a softening in market uh, anytime soon. Okay. Then another question we have is on the order book, right? Uh, it's certainly risen dramatically over the last, call it two years, 23, 24%, whatever it may be of the fleet right now. Um, do you think the market will be able to handle this additional supply from, let's call it late 23 through 2025? What are some offsetting factors? What are your, your views on that order book? Well, first of all, the order book is, is pretty much geared towards large ships, right? So everything above 12,000 TU. I mean, below that, you have a very limited order book still. I mean, probably in, in our size bracket, uh, I would say up to 8,000 TU, maybe you, you, have, you have a very low order book. Um, and in combination in that bracket, you have a very old fleet, comparably old fleet, right? I mean, the 40% of the vessels on the water in our segment are above 16, 17 years of age. So there's inevitably actually a need for more vessel orders in my book, at least for, for the smaller sizes. And on the larger vessels, I mean, they have a very clear um, uh, trading profile um, that will certainly lead to somewhat of a reshuffling, somewhat of a uh, additional cascading potentially, uh, yet those vessels will know where they go today, tomorrow, and in a few years time, simply because of their size, they will not service intra-regional trades. There will probably be a few, eight or, or 5,000 TEUs that, that will trickle into, into the intra-regional trades. But remember, uh, intra-regional trade by virtue of number of vessels is by far the largest trade. And that trade um, has 98% of the vessels in those trades are below 5,000 TU. So, um, so it, it's simply, it's about port rotation. It's about schedule integrity, maintaining a, a let's say daily to some extent or by uh, every, every second day a schedule um, in order to feed into the hubs or to have intra-regional trade. Um, I think there, there will be more and more smaller vessels needed. And I actually think the, the order book is, is not representing the growth that I would expect on the demand side for, for certainly smaller vessels uh, um, in general. Sure. And then a large percent of that order book is for replacement tonnage, right? I think it's over 8% of the container ship fleets over 20 years of age already. Another 15% is over 15 to 16. So within five years, you think a lot of those vessels get replaced. I think we have one more from the Q&A. Um, nope, I asked that earlier, but I'll finish with this. And it's also from the Q&A as well. Clearly, there's a handful of container ship owners, lessors, peers out there. How does MPC differentiate itself and, and why should an investor buy your shares maybe over some others? Well, um, obviously, you know, we have a, a slightly different focus than other tonnage providers by being focused clearly on intra-regional trades. Again, 98% of the, the, the vessels uh, on the water below 5,000 TU are actually employed in intra-regional trades. So, so there is a very specific and focused strategy, a strategy on a segment where in my book, the supply and demand dynamics, as we just touched upon, is in particular favorable. Um, so it's first of all the sector and the focus of our company. Then we have a, a fairly low financial leverage, which is not kind of a necessarily a strategic goal to be uh, very low on leverage if you have a capital intensive business. Yet we can provide for both a very high dividend um, plus 
low risk uh, because we have a solid backlog, we have a, a very low leverage. Um, and I think we have shown from the inception of our company that we are very rational on our capital allocation. So we bought ships when we felt prices are right, um, uh, close to, to scrap at a discount to New Building parity. And over the last couple of years, we, we rather you know, harvested that by rolling out our chartering strategy and created value. And this is the way we will behave going forward. Only invest in, in products or in assets that are uh, where we can mitigate residual value risk as such and where we can generate uh, double digit returns. And this is, this is, I think, unique and it differs, it differentiates us from many others because of the sector focus uh, and because of the strong dividend whilst having a very low risk profile. And I think that is uh, certainly unique. Perfect. All right, I guess two follow-up questions. Um, I know we're right about time, but I'll sneak these in. Last night, the president specifically called out liner shipping companies, some alliances. How do you see that political landscape impacting containers, container shipping? Well, I mean, it really depends on what is going to happen, right? I mean, I think for the time being, it's 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 an initiation of uh, of, of of investigations into into potential price, uh, 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 let's say, suspicions. And and I'm I, I personally don't think that uh, that there is something happening um, on the liner side. I think you know the disruption that we have seen over the last 18 months. They did their part to pricing, to lack of reliability, etc. So I think um, that that we are not necessarily seeing or that we're not necessarily going to see a very significant impact from that because I don't know what the outcome of these investigations will be. So I think it's it's really a question of the scenario. Um, and as such, I don't expect that to be a, a decisive uh, factor going forward. Having said that, I mean, over the last 12, 15 years, the liners didn't really earn a lot of money. And now all of a sudden they earn a lot of money because of disruption and, and other implications. Um, so I find it very difficult to to now investigate into into certain um, aspects. But again, I mean, the time will tell. I think it's premature to take a conclusion. But I personally think that that will not really change the macro uh, picture as such when it comes to liners. Okay. And then we've been we've been given a few minute extension, so I'll sneak in some more Q and A's here. Um, do you expect that the liner companies themselves will order their own new buildings in the feeder segment? I think they have to, um, because I, I, I truly believe if you look at the, the feeder order book and who has ordered, if you look at the top 10 lines with the exception of Evergreen, zero. I mean, basically zero, right? So smaller vessels have not been ordered by the liners. And I can give you, give you uh, at least my read of why that is the case. First of all, on the larger vessels, they have wanted to bring down the cost, the slot cost, basically, um, cost per transported unit. And they know where these vessels will be deployed in future um, on the east-west trades. And that's why most of them opted for LNG dual fuel. The supply is secure of the fuels. But on the smaller trades where you have flexible vessels, our vessels trade worldwide. Of course, certain vessels have a, have a specific design for certain sub-regions. But in general, we have the same vessel trading in Asia or trading in the Caribs, right? So it's about flexibility. And that means you need to know what the future fuel will be. Um, and, and I would argue that the moment, you know, there's more certainty about the fuel supply, which is actually the, the limiting factor at this stage. Um, and I think the short sea and feeder trades qualify first for having secured fuel supply um, because you only need one port, one bunker port on a, on, a, on a schedule and you don't have that many sea days, right? So you, you have way more 
shorter distances and you, you can simply bunker easier. So I, I personally think once there's more clarity on that path, uh, we will see more uh, feeder orders and the feeder orders that have been placed to date, um, they are mainly from intra-Asian operators, more smaller operators for intra-Asian trades. If you really drill down into the order book, you will see that. And I think I actually expect way more feeder orders uh, to come um, over the next couple of years, but we're talking 2024, 2025, 2026 deliveries um, and still some question marks around the fuel supply. Got it. And then uh, another question here is about IMO 2023 and then eventually IMO 2030. Is green energy a factor in keeping the, Lord of the low order book meaning our owners not ordering because of upcoming new regulations? And then more specifically for MPC, kind of what is your view and plans on using alternative fuels and, and compliance with these upcoming regulations? I think I, I just, in, in the last uh, reply, I touched on some of the elements with, where, where I believe that, that, that you know, there's a bit of a hesitation to, to order nubles in the smaller segment because of certain uncertainties around the uh, fuel supply. So I think that clearly is, is, is important. On the other hand, I mean, it's always also about the market environment, right? I mean, the, the market, we have the best container market in history, so we will not see any scrapping in, in this market. Uh, and, and even to order a new ship, as an owner without having charter backing in this market environment, at least would be with, with the uncertainties about the fuel supply would be a bit of a, a harakiri exercise in my view. So, you know, once that is committed and once there are commitments from charterers, I think there will be also a more trend towards new builds. Um, um, I mean, we, we hardly see any speculative new builds, very few. Uh, that was completely different pre-2008, as we all remember, right? There was heaps of speculative new build orders, especially in the container market. Um, so, so I don't expect that to happen because there's always the link to the charters, especially in times of uncertainty about propulsion and fuel availability. So I think that will at least lead to somewhat of a more disciplined approach. Uh, and obviously the new regulation will, will um, accelerate that. But I think the new regulation is only one part. The other part is the right decision on fuel um, uh, supply and on the right technology, certainly on the smaller sizes. Got it. Good deal. Well, I think that uh, that covers all the Q&A. Uh, so thank you again for your time, Constantine. Best of luck to MPC. Obviously, you've been doing a great job with the vessel purchases, sales, um, distributions increasing. So we will uh, certainly be watching the market and watching your company going forward. Thank you again. Great. And thank great. you, Thanks, Capital Link, Nicholas. Thank you for, uh, for hosting. Well, I'd like to thank you both, Constantine uh, uh, Bach, the CEO of MPC Container Ships, and uh, Randy Gibbons, the head of Maritime Research at Jefferies. Thank you for uh, a very insightful and actually very timely discussion. Uh, you got uh, an avalanche of questions. Uh, so thank you to both very much uh, for, uh, for this uh, great webinar.